On this episode of Inside Boxing Live, you're going to hear from Jake Donovan. He is the lead writer for Boxing Scene. We're going to break down this Jake Paul, Haseem Rockman saga that I found myself right in the middle of. The fight is off. We're also going to talk about Virgil Ortiz. He fights uh, this weekend over in Dallas, Texas. We'll talk about this new fight that was just ordered between Jose Cepeda and Regis Progre. Danny Garcia had a big win over the weekend. What's next for him? There's a lot to talk about, so let's do it. Everybody and welcome in to another edition of Inside Boxing Live, presented by John Boy Media. I am your host, Dan Canobio. I thank you so much for joining me week in, week out. And we have a fun one for you today. Jake Donovan is on the show. Great boxing reporter. Uh, breaks a lot of news. He was the one who broke the news uh, that this Jake Paul Haseem Rockman fight is off. Uh, we're going to talk about that. I found myself somehow right in the middle of it all. Uh, what I thought was going to be a nice relaxing Sunday at my parents' house on Long Island. At one point, I was floating in the pool, had a high noon in my hand. I was watching the Yankee game, and all of a sudden, I have Jake Paul tweeting at me. I have him sending me videos of Haseem Rockman, you know, on a scale in a small bathroom somewhere at 218 pounds. I have Haseem Rockman telling me on Twitter that he was 230 pounds when he accepted this fight. Uh, Jake Paul then told me that I was wrong. There is no way that Haseem, we knew that Haseem Rockman would have to lose 30 pounds in, in 30 days. We were assured that he was 218 pounds when he accepted the fight. Uh, from that point, I was invited to a virtual press conference uh, that Haseem Rockman and his team put on. That led to a lot more uh, uh, questions than answers. Uh, Jake Donovan was on that virtual press conference as well. We'll talk about that. Uh, coming up in a little bit, but that was kind of like the big news this weekend. Other than the Danny Garcia win, was that this Jake Paul fight is is off? Uh, it was. Uh, I've heard a lot of different things. I heard ticket sales were bad. I heard pay per view buys were, uh, you know, trending in the wrong way. I heard that Jake Paul was not uh, exactly uh, happy or was not exactly keen on fighting a 215 pound Rockman. Then you have the other side of the coin here. Uh, did Rockman just? straight up not even try to lose the weight did he go from 225 to about 215 and said you know what i ain't getting any lower so i'll take uh you could pay me five thousand dollars and i'm coming in at 215 and if i knock you out i'll become a star uh you know i'm on the fast track now rematch uh he could then who knows uh but that blew up in the rockman's team's face so this fight's off and i've said since day one when jake paul entered the boxing space listen this is fine this is good for boxing uh there are positives that come along with jake paul obviously what he's done for women's boxing uh what he talks about the fighter pay all that that's that's good bring eyeballs when he talks about other fights uh it's good for 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 boxing but you have to realize and i've said this that it's a separate lane than real boxing this is what i tell people i get asked about jake paul everywhere i go uh i say he's good for boxing but it's a separate lane of boxing. Yes, he is putting on gloves. He is stepping in a ring in a sanctioned bout, and he is fighting, just like everyone else in the, the world of boxing. But everything else that comes along with it, the, the weight stuff, the sideshows, the marketing, it's a separate lane. It's entertainment. 
And that's whole, all part of the package with Jake Paul. It's why people get invested in these fights. They get invested in his opponents like Tommy Fury. They get invested in uh, Tyron Woodley. Uh, now everyone seems to be invested in Haseem Rockman all of a sudden. I looked at his Twitter. He's probably gained, you know, five to 7,000 followers since the fight got canceled. You know, if, I, I do believe they will maybe eventually fight uh, down the road. I think that the Tommy Fury fight should be next for, for Jake Paul. We'll talk about that with, with Jake Zama. That was the biggest news of the weekend. We'll get into it in full uh, coming up in, in just a bit. Danny Garcia won. Uh, this past weekend, I thought he looked great or good enough. Uh, I don't know if he can win a title at 154. I uh, gave a great post-fight uh, speech about uh, some of the things that he was battling. Um, terrible scorecard. That's what I wanted to get to before we get to Jake. Horrendous scorecard by, by Waleska Roldan, who was one of the worst judges in boxing. You know, she had Jeff Horn beating Manny Pacquiao. And it's a deep-rooted problem that... Not, I would say the casual fan or even the hardcore box fan, fan um, will always ask, is like, how do these scorecards keep happening? And in the case of Valeska Roldan, who is a New York judge, you take a look at the pandemic, and it's caused so many problems for for people, and very low on the on the list of you know reverberations from the pandemic is that club shows here in New York. There is no more club scene. You know, I'm part of the Bella uh, Entertainment's Broadway Boxing. I have been for about five years, a uh, part of the broadcast team. Been going to Broadway boxing shows in New York, club shows that were used to be at BB King's in Times Square. They can't happen anymore. The New York Commission, the New York State, the, the insurance premiums, getting a venue, all that has made it impossible for small promoters to put on club shows. And club shows used to be the lifeblood of the sport. It's part of the ecosystem of boxing. It's how young fighters fight in four rounders, six rounders, eight rounders. It's how you build up, you know, an eight or nine and zero record before you move on to the show boxes, before you move on uh, to world championship fights on DAZN or ESPN or whatever platform. It's very important. And when you're not putting on club shows because the New York State Commission and, and New York State is making it really hard uh, financially to do that, that means that these judges in New York aren't doing much. You know, Steve Weisfeld gets flown all over the world because he's a really good judge. Uh, judges like Waleska Roldan, who are awful judges, she's only judged 12 fights this year. And I got to shout out my boy Boxrec Gray for pointing this out. She's only judged 12 fights this year. You might say, oh, that sounds like a lot. It really isn't if you're a judge, especially in a big state like New York. So you have an, a, a judge who is is just not getting enough reps. You know, that could be the problem here. Also, just being very incompetent, also having zero accountability. 114-114, she had that fight. That was not the case. You could make maybe two rounds. I thought 116-112 for Danny Garcia was generous. You could. I thought Benavides won maybe one or two rounds. But that right there, I always ask all the time as well, in addition to being asked about Jake Paul, I'm asked, you know, the judging. Why is judging so bad in boxing? Well, that's why. That's one of the reasons why. It's a deep-rooted problem here in New York State uh, where I reside. And uh, hopefully, you know, we're going to see it again. We're not, I'm not going to say we're not going to see another bad scorecard. But that's just uh, something over the weekend that was kind of ugly uh, fr fr from that one. But let's get to Jake Donovan. A really fun conversation. We cover a lot of ground. Uh, he's a great reporter for boxing scene. Here he is, Jake Donovan. All right, let's bring in our guest this week. You know him, Jake Donovan, senior writer, boxing scene. 
Jake, where do we even begin? There is a slew of topics to get to. The Jake Paul fight is off. You uh, broke the news. Uh, for boxing scene, we can get to that. Danny Garcia had a win this weekend. Great post-fight interview. I don't know what's next for him. Virgil Ortiz is fighting this weekend. Jose yeah. Cepeda versus Regis Progre. I know that's a story you're working on late uh, Sunday night. Uh, that They'll be fighting for the WBC vacant title at 140. These are all big things that are happening in the sport, but this Jake Paul saga, you were on the call Sunday night. I was on the call Sunday night with the team Rockman. Strange stuff. Uh, yeah. I still don't understand what the heck the story <laughs> is. Maybe you can help us with the timeline here since you broke the news, but all, all, all we know is that the fight is off, and it's say they say that it's overweight. First of all, how you doing? I'm doing very well. I appreciate it, Dan. Always a pleasure to be back on the show. So hope you're doing well. Uh, you know, hope you're doing good as well. Too. I am. So let's talk about the Jake Paul uh, oh, saga. Um, you broke the news. So if you can tell us the timeline of how this all went down and, and how the fight ultimately fell apart. Yeah. And, and I do think it's funny. It's like they did have the Zoom call last night for clarification and you put it well in our own conversation. It's like, how do you do like a, an hour long Zoom call and come out with more questions and answers? <laughs> it's, just, it's so bizarre. But um, so going all the way back to when this fight was first made, obviously, Jake Paul was supposed to fight Tommy Fury. That fight couldn't happen because Tommy couldn't get his visa to come over to the U.S. So then they approached Jake Paul claiming he had a few options. They approached Hasim Rahman Jr. I know they've sparred in the past. There was some familiarity there. Hasim Rahman, obviously, his father was the, the former millennial champ, heavyweight champion. So. Rockman's version is that, you know, a virtual gun was put to his head that they had a take, you know, as a take it or leave it offer. Um, at that time, this is where things come confusing. It was announced as a 200 pound fight. The New York State Athletic Commission was never on board with a hard 200 pound limit. They were concerned about what Rockman was going to weigh, how much weight he'd have to lose to get there. Mm -hmm. There was always going to be weight checks in place. The fact that that was a, a surprise to Hasim Rockman. I, I don't know what to say to that. It just tells me way too many people were involved in negotiations for this because it sounded like he got the fight. Then I think Dan Raphael was the one who reported that Greg Cohen, his promoter, said he knew nothing about it. Then he had to get involved. So it just seemed like there's a lot of separate conversations. And that's that's really what I got out of last night's Zoom call. But anyway, so once the fight was signed, New York State Athletic Commission said they wanted to see regular weight checks to ensure that he was properly losing the weight. If it wasn't, then they were going to bump up the weight limit. There was always... The, the possibility of this fight taking place at 205 pounds, which New York State Athletic Commission decided. I found out very early Saturday morning. So all this nonsense that Team Rockman was finding out through the media, I, I don't believe that for a second. Look, I'm not the top breaking news reporter. I'm not even a great breaking news reporter. No, but, stop it. Yes, you are. But, but I'm, I'm interrupting you there. <laughs> if I'm finding out this stuff early Saturday, if it's the first thing I'm waking up to, they know by now. So I, yeah. I don't want to hear that from any fighter. So, yeah, there was the concern that his lowest – he said he got down to like 215. I've heard anywhere from 212 to 215, but the Paul side was under the impression that he was around, I think, 216 or 217 at the first weight check and that he only lost like one or two pounds. Mm -hmm. So then it got to the point where um, the commission said this fight's taking place at 205. There were hard uh, penalties. There were penalties in place for like, you know, for every pound, he's going to be fined like a ridiculous amount. By everything he said, it sounded like he was prepared to fight, at, you know, as close to free for possible, you know, Whatever the commission said was the minimum that he would, could have, you know, fight for, he was willing to do that. And he wanted to weigh in at 215 pounds. The Paul side said, no, Jake Paul's already a very small cruiserweight. Right. He's still learning as he's going. The most he's weighed is 191 and three quarter pounds. Mm -hmm. So the fact that he was already, I mean, he, you know, if he has a cruiserweight, he should be fighting at 200. He was willing to do that. He was willing to fight a boxer. And then, you know, the commission said the fight's going to be at 205. Jake Paul said, fine. He, you know, wanted to keep, you know, go forward with the event. 
Rockmont side, they, I guess they didn't believe that the event would just get canceled if they pulled out, but they thought they had leverage saying, well, you know what, we want to fight at 215. He claims he said that thinking that Jake Paul would say, okay, well, you know, we'll meet you at 210. And then he tried to make that. But so that's how we got to the fight being canceled. Now, again, them finding out through the media that the fight was canceled, that's more nonsense as well. So that's, yeah, I felt uh, like not the word lie, but right. I, I felt like that too yesterday at, on that Zoom call or Sunday night that there were a lot of people in his ear. And yes. I don't want to say like I have sympathy for Hasim Rockman, but you could kind of see like he had a lot right. of people telling him sign a deal, sign a deal. You yeah. know, he, he's a guy that, you know, relative obscurity. We know his father, we know the name, but didn't know much about Junior. He, right. he told me, you know, I told all of us that he, he signed the deal, you know, quickly you know then they put all these stipulations because i asked them straight up i was and his team i was like you know you guys are complaining about the money you're complaining about the weight you're complaining about you know smaller things like tickets and credentials and you know the pay-per-view upside that's actually a big thing but the smaller things too but i i said you still signed the deal you still signed the contract you had to know like what you're dealing with here and i have heard from from people i don't know if you could back this up that the the commission was fine with 215 like they were that's something that they were okay with but i guess it just comes down to the fact that that dick paul was like you know what i'm not going to fight a a bigger guy here rockman's side said we'll take the penalties if we if we end up knocking them out we'll make more money on our on our next fight is that the type of feeling that that you get too because that's what i got that yeah i'm with you on all that um i'm not sure about I, i know greg cohen brought this up last night that, you know, once a fight is past 200 pounds, it's a heavyweight fight. So it doesn't matter what he weighs. Like if the contract limit is 205, he comes in at 215. Yes, he's paying the penalty, but it's still a heavyweight fight. I, I guess that's, you know, technically true. But, it you know, obviously this is, you know, this is a Jake Paul event. It's supposed to be Jake Paul, Amanda Serrano event. It clearly became a Jake Paul event because there was nothing wrong with Amanda Serrano's fight. Yet we're not getting that. Right. So um, it, it's just it, it's just a ridiculous scenario. Um, I, I just don't understand. I, there's so much of this I don't understand. I don't I don't understand why once he did his first weight check, it's like already have that backup opponent in place. Hasim Rahman is already filling in to save this show. Mm-hmm. So you're talking about a man who's never weighed 200 pounds as a pro. I don't know the last time he's weighed 200 pounds, but it, it hasn't been since he's turned pro. He's never weighed lighter than 211. You had to know there was very real possibility that he was not going to make this weight. Right, and they wanted 200. Right. You don't want to kill this show. So have, an, and it's Jake Paul. People are buying the pay-per-view for Jake Paul. Mm-hmm. Hasim Rahman Jr. is not selling tickets. You know, if there's some, you know, hardcore fans, obviously they're going to know Hasim Rahman Sr. The, the Jake Paul audience really doesn't care who he's fighting. Just yeah. have any cruiserweight on the other side. Everyone else at least gets paid and they move forward with this with this show. That's the part that really bugs me. The Rahman side, that's all I got from, I'm with you on just listening to him last night, way too many people were telling him what to do. I, I do genuinely believe he was confused by all this, mm-hmm. that he was probably being told by one person, this is what's going on. And then like all these other things are coming into play. But to me, that's just too many people speaking on his behalf. Yeah. You know, and there's this controversy too, is what, how much did he weigh when he accepted the fight? You know, mm-hmm. I, I thought I was going to have a, a peaceful Sunday. I was floating in my, my parents' pool and I look at my phone and I see Jake Paul sending me videos Right. of Hasim Rockman on a scale which he says is July 7th and on this video that Jake Paul sent me I'm looking at right now he was at 218 but right. when I saw him at the press conference which was five days after that um July 12th at Madison Square Garden Hasim Rock just to my naked eye Hasim Rockman looked big he looked bigger than than 218 he looked around 225 which he said he was at the press conference this whole timeline 
is is putting my brain in, in, into a pretzel. But Jake Paul's side is alleging that he didn't even bother to lose the weight. You know, he was at he was at two seventeen to two eighteen the whole time from J- July seventh when he accepted the fight right up until uh, the fight got pulled. He was not willing to lose the weight. You know, yet the other side of the coin is the detractors of Hasim Rockman say you fumbled this because you didn't even try to get down to 205. As much as he said it yesterday, the one thing he did say over and over uh, was that I still want to make 205. I still could make 205. He was talking like the fight could somehow still happen, which right. I thought was kind of bizarre too. But that's like the crux of this is what was the initial initial weight? Because Jake Paul did clap back at me as well too and said, because I tweeted out that maybe he had to drop 25 pounds in from July 7th until August 6th. So that's yeah. 25 pounds in 30 days. You know, Jake Paul's side has to be like, whoa, wow, to, to go to your point, like that's a lot of weight. That's 25 pounds in 30 days for a guy that's never really had to cut weight. You know, that's something that they, they have to live with too. Jake Paul didn't like that uh, from, from me, but that's the that's just what it is. I know you can look at both sides and mm-hmm. everyone's trying to figure out who is in the wrong here, but I think Jake Paul's team had to know that him getting down to 200 or 205 was going to be a tall order on, uh, you know, such short notice. And then on Hasim Rockman's side, they kind of went too far with it, and they thought they could pull a fast one. They thought they yeah. he could come in at 215. Uh, you know, maybe he he just gave up losing the weight. Maybe he couldn't do it. But that, to me, is the the basis of this. From there, it went completely awry. It's gotten, you know, the media, the, these two guys are trying to manipulate uh, the media, trying to manipulate the storylines. It's just the fight's not happening. And I, I'm not even sure if fans are, are care at this point. No, I, that's the thing. I never got a sense that this was going to be a big event. Like, the, here's the thing, too. With Jake Paul, since he's been his own pay-per-view, his numbers have gone in the wrong direction. Right. He's, not, he's not bringing all these eyeballs that everyone claims. He's bringing a different audience. But his audience is very used to... It, you know, consuming as much content as possible for free. They're not used to paying $50, $60. So I don't get that he's driving big business. He's done remarkable, you know, things for Amanda Serrano. She's, he's made her a very, you know, rich fighter, you know, since she's uh, joined MVP. But I just, I, I don't know. There's just so many things in play. I just, it sucks. I don't know what to believe. But I will say with the whole video and Rachman, I kind of believe that they're both saying what they believe is the truth. I do believe Jake Paul was sent the video and the commission saying that Hasim Rahman was whatever weight, 216, 217 at the first check. I do believe that Hasim Rahman was probably in the 220s when he went into camp. It is very possible that they, you know, if you're sending in a video and you're not there to verify what he weighs, you don't know how they, that scale got to 216. Right, you don't know whether right. they, they can be step, yeah. standing on the back of it or they could be I, manipulating yeah. it. I have done it. Like when I do my weight on my phone, like if I don't feel like I want to weigh 20 pounds today, I'm going to tip my toes and weigh 185 pounds. Right, exactly. Not easy. You know, WBC weight checks too. It's very easy to manipulate that. But it's just so strange because he came in at two eight, he's 217 or 218 on July right. 7th, but then July 12th, which was the press conference, he said he was 225. Right. So he gained weight. He right. gained weight after knowing that he had the fight. Yeah, it, it's bizarre. And we see it. He is putting in the work. I mean, you know, from every training that, you know, video I've seen, you know, the media has had great access to him. He's definitely been putting in the work. So I, I, I'm of the belief that there was a manipulation somewhere along the way just to get the fight. And then he really was like somewhere in the 220s. He got to a certain point. He realized he wasn't going to lose the weight. I don't think he went in all along saying, you know, I'm going to be 216 now. I'm not going to lose any weight, and I'm just going to force him to take the fight. I do believe there was a process where he tried to yeah, get I, I, I could see that. he couldn't, and then 
they hoped that, you know, okay, well, this guy's not going to kill the event. Right. So I'm going to come in it this way. He's already sparred me at 230. Why wouldn't he fight me? Right. But Jake Paul called that bluff and said, nope, show's done. Yeah, Rockman, he did have a little bit of leverage, but not as much as he thought. Mm-hmm. Fight's not happening. Uh, what could we see next uh, to put a to put a bow on this? Um, I think the Tommy Fury fight in the UK is something that is just that it would sell better, and there's actual interest in that one. Uh, he's you know a guy that's under 200 pounds, so this weight issue won't be a problem. You know, names like Anderson Silva are out there, but that's just another MMA guy who's you know 45, you know, close to. Uh, maybe even older than that. I think Fury is is the fight for, for Jake Paul, but uh, yeah, do you agree with that? And what do you I, next for I do agree. They keep mentioning Julio Cesar Chavez Jr. That you know, once he's out of you know, done with, I know he was in rehab at one point. I'm not sure if he still is, but you know, once he's able to return, that's I, I think that would be the most attractive fight. But it does seem like of all the fights, the only one that had any real heat was when he was fighting Tommy Fury. They generally don't like each other. I mean, Jake Paul doesn't seem to have a problem with making enemies. So I mean, whoever he's going to fight, you know, they're not they're gonna they're not going to get along. But right. he and Tommy Fury, they generally do dislike each other. So right. that, you know, would, I think would be another good promotion. I would like to see him fight Tommy Fury anywhere in the UK, bring Amanda Serrano with him. Mm-hmm. You know, she could fight whoever, her mandatory, uh, Brenda Carabajal or whoever else, you know, at least just get her back in the ring and then build that momentum towards, you know, the Katie Taylor rematch. We know that's not happening next. I, I would love nothing more than Jake Paul fights Tommy Fury in Liverpool and Katie Taylor, um, Amanda Serrano rematches the co-feature, but we know that's not good. <laughs> that would be awesome, and that's something that's getting lost in this whole shuffle. Exactly, is the you know the the residual effects, you know the yeah. the shrapnel that comes out, and that takes out um, you know Amanda Serrano, who we want to see fight, and you know women's boxers, you know they really need those paydays, and we yeah. just want to see her active because we do want to see that rematch. I think they're building their way back towards that rematch, so that fights out a guy like Brandon Lee. Uh, who is has all the talent in the world, uh, just can't seem to get that big platform or get that big push. He was going to be on this card. That was going to be a big one for him, too. And then all the fighters underneath that, too, who don't fight for you know thousands and thousands and, and all that. So whole card is gone. Uh, we'll see what's next for, for Jake Paul. He hasn't really put much out, out there besides clapping at me on, on Twitter, which uh, is fine by me. Yeah. You can keep sending me videos left and right, so I'm sure once we hear from him, uh, we'll figure out what's next. All right, that's the Jake Paul saga. Let's move on to what we saw this past weekend. Yeah. Danny Garcia, uh, his debut at 154 pounds, thought he looked good, uh, thought he looked happy in there, looked like he was having fun. Uh, Jose Benavides uh, did not put up much of a fight. Um, I, I thought he would put up a little bit more. Terrible scorecard, um, you name it. This fight had a little bit of everything in there, but I thought Danny Garcia looked good. And now we look to what is next at 154. Afterwards, he talked about a fight, uh, maybe a rematch with Keith Thurman. Uh, I don't know if that would be at, at 147 or 154. He brought up, you know, fighting Lara at 155. That would be for, I guess, a, a middleweight title that Lara has. But uh, what's next for, for Danny Garcia? Your takeaways from uh, his performance that we saw at the Barclays. So, I mean, I guess we got to figure out where Jose Benavidez Jr. is at in his career. You know, did he make Danny Garcia look that good? But what I'm going to say is I was concerned about how he would look at a weight where he admitted he feels comfortable at at this stage of his career. Like anytime you hear that, it's like, okay, this guy's heading towards retirement. You know, he's not going to, you know, third weight division. But with all that in mind, he did. He looked like he hadn't missed a beat. He looked better than he has recently at welterweight. So I'm glad that he's back. You know, Danny, you know, he catches a lot of, you know, crap from, I guess, fans, maybe some media, but to me, he's always been media friendly. He's one of those guys you want to see succeed in the sport. He's done a lot of good things outside the ring, you know, especially, you know, at, at home in Philly. And um, 
I, I'm glad to see him back. I, I like the options that he mentioned. I don't want to see him fight Jamel Charlo next. Um, he There is the possibility, I mean, for what we saw Saturday, there is the possibility of building towards fighting for a third world title. My sense is he'll fight for a junior middleweight title once they start becoming available. I don't, and I say that not because he's afraid of Jamel Charlo or Jamel Charlo won't fight him. Jamel has so many mandatories. He's going to have to start giving up belts at some point unless he fights four times a year. So once those belts become available, I can see Danny getting in that mix. Um, I know he mentioned Laura. Well, I think when the, the Benavides fight was first announced, Laura, after he beat Spike O'Sullivan, claimed that he wanted to fight Keith Thurman and Danny Garcia both. And he was willing to drop back down as close to the to one uh, junior middleweight as possible. You know, both of them like that idea. So I, I can't see Danny getting a fight like that. But I don't believe any move will be made on Laura in Laura's career until after Canelo Triple G. Right. Because if Triple G beats Canelo, he's going to have to decide if he's going to stay at 168 or if he's going to drop back down and defend the titles. If he loses, then he has, I think, 120 days to defend against Laura. So Laura could very well get upgraded to, you know, the WBA middleweight champion by that point. So I, I don't see him taking any other fight in the interim. So and why not fight for a real title instead of a secondary title? Yeah, you don't want to. You, yeah, you don't want that secondary title, especially if you're making that case. He wants to be a Hall of Famer, Danny exactly. Garcia. He wants to be a three uh, three division yep. uh, champion. You know, the fight with Thurman is is interesting. Maybe at one fifty four, if Thurman just says, you know what, I don't see any options for me at one forty seven. Um, you know, I eventually want to move up to one fifty four too. That's a fight that is a is a, a money fight. You know, there isn't a title on the line. It's more of a grudge match. It's more of something that Danny Garcia said he wants to avenge that first loss that that Thurman gave him. We yeah. know that Keith Thurman is in this at this point for for money fights, the, the biggest offer. So maybe that is uh, something he sees there too. Tony Harrison was ringside. Yeah. Uh, he uh, is calling for that fight. Uh, I just don't know what Danny's. You know his his plans are or what right. you know does he want to be really want to be a world champion because that's going to take some some time because the charlo zoo fight is in late january so you right. go six months from that uh then you have to figure out everything that's going on with the belt so he, he could you know fight for a, a title but that, we're looking at next spring next summer exactly. for that i don't think he wants to take all that time off danny garcia after uh, taking 18 months off so that leaves like a, a tony harrison that leaves a, a keith thurman at 154 uh, other than that, I think his post-fight uh, press conference was one of the better post-fight pressers yeah. I've seen in a long time. And it kind of – you can maybe agree with this. Like, we cover the sport day in, day out. Uh, sometimes we get a little jaded. Sometimes we get a little bogged down by the politics, by uh, just the, the general BS that comes with uh, following boxing and working in the business. But then you see something like what happened on, on Saturday night, and yeah. you heard rumblings of Danny Garcia's mental health. You heard right. him talking about anxiety and, and depression, but just to see it play out, like he got in that ring and he looked like he was home. He looked like yes. he was like happy. And I, I've seen fighters in there, like look like they're, they're doing their thing, but I've never, he looked like he was generally happy. And then yeah. it all came rushing right. out of him, pure raw emotion in mm -hmm. that post-fight presser. To me, that just showed like what boxing is all about. Like it's a literal fight. It, it could say it saves more lives than it takes. Yeah. And it just, to me, like, it was just like something pure about it. Like he was, had a bottle it all in right. uh, for the most part leading up to the fight. He talked about it a little bit. He goes in the ring. He feels at ease. He finally feels, uh, you know, maybe not depressed or doesn't have anxiety. He lets it all out in the, in the, in the post-fight press. I just thought it was beautiful to see that all in, in one night. Yeah, no, I agree 100%. And again, it speaks to, you know, just the type of, you know, classic guy that Danny Garcia is. I've always enjoyed his, you know, just, you know, being in his presence. And um, 
this is what I try to explain to people too, because obviously other fighters have expressed that and, you know, they get questioned. Like everyone has different coping mechanisms. I've battled, you know, with, with severe depression. So everyone had, you know, it, the pandemic hit everyone very differently. Mm -hmm. So like my thing was like, I was a severe spender and then I had to, you know, figure life to fix that part of my life. But, you know, with you're talking about Danny, like you said, a two time, you know, two division world champ, a potential hall of famer. And this guy's stuck on the sidelines. He, you know, he had, he waited all that time. He got the Earl Spence fight, didn't go his way. Then he's waiting another 18 months, whether by choice or just because he can't get the opportunities. And again, I know he has other things going on, but yeah, it's like all this stuff is rattling around your brain. You have to release that at some point. So like, you know, you, you summed it up perfectly though. He, he was finally back in the ring. He was finally back where he belonged and he gave the performance that he did. And I felt like maybe he just felt like everything was just right. You know, his life was right back where it needed to be. So it, it was nice to see. I, I really appreciated that. And it does. It's like, you, you want to see the human side of these fighters. Yeah, you do. And, and the post-fight presser was amazing. I posted it on Twitter and it's got yeah. a ton of uh, reaction like from people outside of the boxing world. It was just real. It was very real. Uh, it, it was very raw. Uh, Errol Spence, uh, I don't know if you've been following along. He's not exactly tweeting at Danny Garcia, but if you read between the lines, he's kind of saying like no one wants to hear that stuff. And, you know, you have money, you're rich, like people are, have, are having problems paying, you know, bills. I understand it to a certain degree, but also that's that's just not how mental health works. No, I mean, Danny Garcia is a guy that has seemingly everything, money, got a great family, uh, established, successful, and yet he's still plagued by things that plague uh, a lot of people yeah. around the world. So I don't 100% agree with, with Errol Spence, but that's just who uh, Errol Spence is, but a great night for, for Danny Garcia. If, you know, if he doesn't become world champion, if, uh, if his career, who knows where, where he goes from there. I think he, he helped a lot of people, uh, with that speech, but yeah, moving on to our next topic here. Um, we're looking at Virgil Ortiz. So we have fights that are not happening August 6th. We have a fight that is happening yes. and that is Virgil Ortiz stepping in the ring. Finally, uh, he is back against Michael McKinson, obviously, Virgil Ortiz. Um, it's his first fight since last summer uh, mm -hmm. when he fought Mean Machine in a very in a fun fun fight. Was slated to fight McKinson in March of this year before suffering uh, some of those health issues, basically damaged muscle tissue released into his blood. He was hospitalized, a very serious um, condition. It's like you know this guy. This was no joke. Uh, maybe it was had to do with the pandemic and cancellations and working a little too hard to make 147. But Virgil Ortiz is back. He is one of the more promising welterweights. Him, Boots Ennis, I think, are leading the charge as the next wave of 147 pounders. McKinson, plus 800 underdog. I think Virgil uh, should win this one, and then we look to what's next for him, of course. Yeah, no, I'm just glad this fight is back. You know, is finally back in play. Um, I, I don't know how I felt about it back in March. I think all of us kind of sensed that, you know, you see a guy that, you know, Virgil's this big hitter, you know, whether by, you know, through attrition or he can take out one punch. Michael McKinson obviously isn't a big puncher. He's stronger than his two knockouts suggest, but he's still a guy with two knockouts going in against one of the hottest guys in the division and now fighting in his hometown. So speaking, you know, earlier to all these strange core cards, it's like extreme uphill battle for, for Michael McKinson. But I do believe he'll give Virgil uh, a different look than he's seen. And I appreciate the fact that Virgil has taken on all these different styles before he fights for the championship. You know, I brought this up in interviews with him where he's going to feel like a champion by the time he actually gets in the ring, whether it's an Errol Spence, a Terrence Crawford, or, you know, if a belt becomes available, you know, outside of those two. So um, I, I want to see what, you know, Virgil looks like against like a pure boxer. Like True. maybe you could say, okay, me machine and Maurice Hooker, you know, they're uh, a title challenger and a former champ. Maybe they're at that stage where they were going to present that, you know, favorable style for him. It is easier to look good against a guy who's going to stand there and trade with you who wants to bang with you. 
Michael McKenzie's not going to do that. So I expect a completely different fight from Virgil. I do expect his knockout streak to stay alive. I think he'll we'll go 19 and 0, 19 knockouts. It won't be easy early, but once he figures, he's one of those guys. Once he figures it out, then you know the, the fight is essentially going to be over from there. So um, the last time he fought at this venue, I brought this up when he fought Maurice Tucker. It was an all Dallas showdown. They were limited by how many tickets they could sell because of the pandemic. So I think this will be an even bigger turnout. The last fight was supposed to be. In LA, I know he trains in California. He has his base out there, but I do expect this. You know, I'm really I'm excited to see what Dickie's Arena looks like this time around. So I was there for his fight with Hooker. It was kind of spread out. So I'm really you know interested to see you know see how many people turn out in the Dallas area. What is his standing now? Um, I think it, the WB he was number one contender with the WBO, I believe. Correct? Is that still correct. standing? Because it's been a while since he's been out. Right. Is, yeah. Is so. It, yeah, he's still number one with the WBO, as far as I, I know. And I think he's – I know he's at least top three in WBC. He might be two. I know Keith Thurman got bumped up to number one. Because um, there was a thing he was – he was supposed to fight David Avenesian, and that was going to be a WBC eliminator. Right. Avenesian side had several reasons for why the fight hasn't happened. Yeah, you, I don't know. But all I know is they're not fighting. They're not in that mix, and now they're out of the way where they're, – they're not in the conversation to where you can fight an eliminator there. So – He's going to have his options still, whether to fight for WBC or WBO. I believe he and McKinson are in a position where, like, the winner of this could be named the mandatory. So they haven't called it an eliminator outright, but he could become, you know, WBO could eventually mandate that if, for whatever reason, Terrence Crawford doesn't fight Errol Spence, which I do believe he will, then we could get that fight. That's been my theory, that Spence would go, you know, one direction, and then Terrence Crawford would fight Virgil Ortiz. But Hopefully they'll fight each other. Virgil's willing to wait that out. He wants to come back in late November, early December, fight at least twice this year, and then get back to fighting three times a year. So he, he's willing yeah. to wait out the whole process. He wants to fight the very best. And I do believe him. I believe guys like him and Boots, they want to fight everyone at welterweight. They want to prove themselves. Yeah, Virgil and Boots are in the same class. I mean, yeah. they're the two uh, young guns. I, I even know, I think how, Boots is 25. Yeah. And you got Virgil Ortiz, who's under 25, just about. But they are mentioned in the same breath. They are the, the next wave as as this elder statesman at welterweight are starting to get on the north side of 30 and starting to uh, leave the division, whatever it may be, uh, w- with that. So it, they're, they're in a tough spot. Now, you know, they have these these man. They're playing the mandatory game. It's the only way you can do it. It's the same way that Errol Spence did it in, in 20, you know, 15, 2016 when he when he went up and, and took Kell Brooks title. Uh, you know, so Boots is doing the same thing. Virgil Ortiz is doing the same thing. It's just like, are they going to get these these champs at 147? Are they going to wait it out? That's something you have to see. But I'm just happy to see Virgil Ortiz back in there. A uh, guy that was, you know, on a crash course and, and just, just, just taking guys out left and right, fighting three times a year. Uh, so he wants to get back into that. But yeah, you bring up Spence and Crawford. That's the uh, another million dollar question that's going around boxing right now, along with Tank and Ryan. But you know, we've heard there were rumblings. Oh, there's going to be an announcement this week at, at the Barclays Center. Then you look and you see Terrence Crawford sitting next to Mike Tyson, uh, <laughs> the UFC fight, and the fight is is at a standstill. Uh, that's the last I heard from uh, Stephen Espinosa that, you know, he says he's more than 50% sure that the fight's going to happen. What's the latest that you've heard or what your opinion on uh, Spence Crawford uh, getting to that finish line finally? Yeah, before I get to I do find it interesting, though, that for all the people who thought we were getting an announcement and said we got Terrence Crawford in Errol Spence's hometown at the UFC event. That wasn't Dallas, right? Yeah, it was. American uh, Airlines Arena. I'm, we're looking at you, Ray Jackson. <laughs> My man, right. There's probably um, a lot of people that don't know who that is, but he's a guy <laughs> on Twitter that has 
uh, he's just hilarious. He is, and I, I find it amazing how many people uh, believe everything that he tweets out. But um, I, I, I do believe the fight will happen. I've always been in the camp that it will happen. We've seen all these crazy rumors that Terrence Crawford's being difficult. I don't know how true that is, but I've always seen that it's been trending in the right direction. I never believed we were going to get an announcement this soon. There's no reason to. I mean, you can announce it sometime around Labor Day. Why do we need to announce a fight like that, you know, three, four months out? Mm-hmm. I would say if we don't get an announcement by Labor Day, then maybe we start to worry. But once they announce it, we're going to get a press conference. They're not going to go like on this 50 state tour, you know, announcing this fight. It's just it's going to be announced and it's going to happen probably. You know, I've always believed it was going to happen in November. And I'm sticking to that until I have any reason to believe otherwise. And I don't believe this fight is in jeopardy. So I, I still give it another four weeks. Then we could say, oh, man, you know, what the heck is going on? How come they haven't announced it yet? Right. The fighters are saying that they want it. Um, that's the most important thing. They they can figure out a way to get it done. And yeah, you're right. I had someone uh, tell me like, oh, like this fight doesn't have to happen next. Like Spence can fight so-and-so. Crawford can fight so-and-so. Yeah. Then they build it up. I was like, this fight doesn't need any more buildup. Right. Right, okay? no. It's not Pacquiao versus Mayweather. This isn't a super fight. It is a very big fight. It is arguably the biggest fight that you can make right now in boxing but it's not this mega fight that needs any more marinating or any more building just get the damn fight on now so we can have the four belts on the line so we can figure out what's next guys like Roger Latiz and and other fighters can all figure it out and then November you're right I think that's when we can get this fight uh we can have a big one and we can end the year with a bang because we had you on last we were talking about how great of a first half it was second half is starting to figure itself out that's a fight I want to see uh, in November. And as much as I want to see Tank, I know we're going off tangent a little bit, as much as I want to see Tank and Ryan fight, like then you're looking at Showtime budgets now. You know, I know Espinosa said that they have begun early negotiations for a Tank-Ryan fight, but there are many obstacles. He said, you know, you look at budgets. You know, these networks have a certain amount of money that they have to spend, and they very rarely go over it. Uh, uh, if we see a Spence Crawford in November – uh, is are we going to see a tank versus Ryan in December? Uh, I as bad as I want to see tank versus Ryan, I, maybe it makes more sense for that fight to happen next May uh, between those two. Would you agree or disagree? Um, I, I, you know it is funny when you put it out there. The, the other wild card too is like, is Deontay Wilder coming back? I've heard Deontay Wilder is right. Back. Another name. So does that fight land on Showtime? Is he a pay per view? It's like you're starting to stack a lot of big fights. You know, in the final three months of the year, can you keep running that many pay-per-views? We already, I know this isn't PBC's problem, but we do have Canelo and Triple G. People are going to buy that fight, regardless of where you stand on it. So that's a lot of money fights that are being, you know, discussed, you know, in the final quarter of the year. So that's, that is a big risk to put, you know, I I don't know. I I have, I'm far more confident that we see Spence Crawford than we do uh, Tank and Ryan Garcia. I do believe there are honest conversations taking place. For that fight, there were last year up until Ryan was led to believe he was going to get a Manny Pacquiao fight. <laughs> that you know that fight with Tank fell apart. He, he told me straight up that was the biggest mistake of yeah. my young career was chasing yeah. Manny Pacquiao. But I said, bro, I would do the same thing if someone right. was dangling me a Manny Pacquiao fight, yeah. and you have a chance to potentially fight him in his final fight. Yeah, it probably was a foolish move on in his part, and he's in by his own admission. But that, that's just that's part of the saga with this. So. It is, yeah, and I'm actually when I was ringside for his fight with Luke Campbell, he was talking about it then that he wanted to fight Manny Pacquiao. I don't know if he necessarily wanted to fight him next, but um, I, I do believe that there were, you know, that both sides because Tank needs opponents too. It's like if he's going to stay pay per view, it's like if he doesn't get Ryan Garcia next, it's like you know his fight with Roley that was his best selling pay per view. But how how you know can those numbers continue to climb upwards if he's fighting you know B side guys that we don't you know that only hardcore fans uh, hardcore fans care about. Yeah, 
it's, you know, it's I'm not saying he needs Ryan Garcia, but to stay on that pay-per-view level, he does need you know significant competition. I think he does. I think in a way he does need need right. Ryan Garcia, and you know you're right. He can keep doing these pay-per-views versus the Isaac Cruises of the world, the tank, uh, the Rollies of, yeah. of the world. But you know the Espinosa will say that you know I don't think this needs to be a split pay-per-view. But even if it was a split pay-per-view, don't you think that Tank versus Ryan would bring? Showtime, its biggest numbers uh, for a tank fight out there as out of all the options. Yeah, absolutely. That's yeah, one hundred percent. You know, some even tease that that could be our first, you know, million pay per view in quite a while. I know Floyd Morgan Paul did it, but we're talking about real fights, obviously. <laughs> yeah, that would yeah, that would be a blockbuster event for Showtime. But I don't blame them for not wanting to get in to the zone pay per view business because we don't know if the zone can run a successful pay per view. It's you know that their thing with Bevel, you know, Canelo and Bevel, that wasn't you know. I don't, I don't think it bombed like people said it would, but they're still trying to figure it out. And, you know, Showtime's theory is why we're going to teach these guys how to do, you know, the business when they were trying to run us out of the business. Yeah, so. I get it. Yeah, I totally understand their at side. Some point, and... Yeah, you, you get over that at some point. You know, if there's a fight to be made, you just go ahead and make it. But Right. From day I, one, I... Espinosa told me, he goes, it, there's a lot of obstacles. And he just repeated, you know, he said the same things that you just said. You know, he has some animosity towards the zone. But he always ends every conversation right. I have with him on this topic with, we're not going to get in the way of it. We're not going to yeah. get in the way of it. If the fighters want it, we'll figure out a way. And this is a guy in Espinosa who has done split pay-per-views, has been a part of some of the biggest pay-per-views of all time. So that's something to keep an eye on. I know some fans are getting fatigued uh, when it comes to Tank Ryan, getting fatigued when it comes to Spence Crawford. Finally, last thing, this broke uh, late Sunday night. You were part of it as well. Jose Cepeda, Regis Progre. I love this fight. This is for the vacant uh, WBC title at 140. Jose Ramirez, uh, I, I, we've been doing this sport for a long time. I, I haven't seen a fighter pull up a fight for a wedding. A wedding got in the way. Uh, we'll get to that in a second. But Zapata versus Progre, 140 is loaded right now. Josh, yeah. um, you know, you, you have a uh, Taylor, Josh Taylor, who is vacating belts, uh, left and right, but it's still looked at as, as the man, or maybe it's Jack Catterall. But you, right. you have Taylor who's got two of the belts. A lot of them became vacant. There's a lot of heavy hitters at 140. We're going to see another one next week. And Tiafimo Lopez. I love Cepeda versus Progre. Yeah. Uh, great fight. Two heavy-handed guys. Progre has, you know, fought for, for the one has been a champion at 140. Has fought for uh, you know, world titles, uh, right. has gone the route of you know taking big money overseas. And we're always we're always said the you know, when is Regis Progre gonna get back into yeah. title contention and stop fighting, you know, in Saudi Arabia or wherever on these on these cards where no one really, you know, these these walkovers. But Cepeda Progre is a really good fight uh, for a title, too. Yeah, yeah, that got a lot of heat. I mean, the moment I tweeted that out, it was like the, the reaction to that. I haven't seen anyone who doesn't like that fight. It's just you know, the way they fight. It's like it's just one of those matchups. It's like this possibly can't miss. I, you know, you don't go. I hate when people say this, this is absolute fight of the year contender and turns out to be just another fight. But the way those two fight, it, it's you have to believe there's a lot of smoke to that one. So um, it is unfortunate for Jose Ramirez. Um, I was told by people within his team when he fought Jose Pedraza, he thought that by then Josh Taylor wouldn't have stalled, that he would have given up the belt. And then his next fight would have been Versapeda for the you know uh, vacant WBC title, probably like right around now. That was his plan to have those two fights become a two-time champion, or I guess three-time champion, whatever, and then go into his wedding and then defend. Once it got to the point where Josh Taylor dragged out negotiations with Jose Zepeda, that stalled uh, Ramirez's timeline. So the WBC, I know they were upset too because Taylor took a very long time to decide what he was going to do with Zepeda. Then he finally gave up the belt. Then by the time it came, Ramirez, they threw up a Hail Mary. They said, what if, you know, we give, uh, what if, you know, Zepeda takes a tune-up, 
that we fight him in February for the vacant titles. The Bates team was not on board with that. They wanted their next fight to be for the vacant title. Ramirez had to do the right thing. So that's how he wound up out the mix. So he's willing to sit out the rest of the year. That's how Progray was bumped up. And he does want the winner. My understanding is that whoever wins this vacant title fight will have to fight Jose Ramirez next. As long as, unless he winds up fighting, you know, for the WBO title by that See, point. This is fun. This is fun to me. WB, yes. like we've seen so many bad vacant title yes. fights. We've seen so many bad mandatories. We've seen so many, you know, when, when belts become uh, vacant, it just like, well, this fight makes no sense. This I never heard of this guy. And how is he elevated to this? So Zepeda Progray with Jose Ramirez waiting in yes. the wings makes sense. See if Fimo Lopez coming back next week. He's going to win. And he gets into the mix too. They're all under that ESPN ban. Oh, it's another question too. Where's this fight going to land? Because Progre is out there in the Probellum land, which right. who knows what's going on with them. Is, is this going to be an ESPN fight? So uh, Zepeda is represented by Zanfer, uh, Zanfer Boxing by Fernando Beltran. And yeah, Progre, Richard Schaefer is speaking on his behalf. So, I mean, anyone could bid on if they can't reach a deal. Anyone could wind up bidding on it. I do believe that between Rick Meridian, who now he's Jose Ramirez's manager, now he represents Peta, and Sam Pekowski, who represents uh, Regis Program. I do believe the two of them, they can find common ground and reach a deal. But it is, you know, a matter of which platform will pick it up. So right. I don't know if either one of them will care at that point, whether the zone airs it, ESPN airs no, it. Who cares? It, who cares, as long as they get the fight. But someone does have to pay for the fight, though. That is the bottom line. So. And you said there's a lot of interest in it, and I believe yeah. so, too. That's just a perfect ESPN, you know, fall, 10 right. p.m. Eastern, put it on after a college football game. Uh, there are names that people know. People know Regis Progray. Zapata has some big knockouts. I do agree that these are two come-forward fighters. They throw a lot of punches. Yeah. They have a lot of power. Uh, there's some big stakes with this fight with a title being on the line, big stakes for – uh, the winner, uh, it makes all the sense in the world. Finally, uh, we're starting. I mean, maybe you could see Josh Taylor fight uh, Catterall in the fall. Now we're starting to see, you know, the second half come into place. You know, right. we just talked about Deontay Wilder. We talk about uh, Spence Crawford. And, you know, we're getting this is how it always works. Like the summer, there's a little bit of a lull. Yeah. And it's like the networks, the promoters, they're all getting their, their you know, the, in a row before we get to the final quarter uh, of the year. And then hopefully... It's explosive. Uh, hopefully, we when we have our year-end show, me, you, mm -hmm. and Rob Tebbit, who is now just a con – he's just firing content out there with ID News. Just gave him a little plug there. We're talking about a great year of boxing, but damn. It was supposed to be a quiet weekend, and so much has happened. All right. <laughs> You're all over it, breaking the news on Jake Paul and Rockman, the Cepeda Regis Progress stuff this upcoming weekend. We're going to see Virgil Ortiz in the ring. We're going to see Mick Conlon, too. It's another card. Uh, he wants to get back into the mix of featherweight. You know, Lee Wood might be fighting Mauricio Lara. So good times. I yeah. mean, as, as much as we put up with this nonsense, uh, Sunday night Zoom calls <laughs> where we're left with more questions than answers. Like, there's, oh, there's, there's some good fights down the pike. Right. Yeah. That, you know, and that, that's what summertime used to be about. It was like you said, it slows down. That's going to, you know, that becomes the business side of it. We start shaping up September, October, November. So I guess that's what, you know, stuff like this weekend is supposed to, you know, that's the purpose it's supposed to serve. But it does catch you off guard when you expect, you know, a nice quiet, you know, weekend and <laughs> then you get all this nonsense. But well, I, that's the, the thing, right? It's like you, you've been doing this for a long time. Like there are no like work hours. Like there is no, no like you can hit anybody of it anytime in the yeah. boxing world. And, you know, Sunday night you get a, a text like, oh, we're going to do a press conference. That's right. just that's just the nature of the sport. Right. Yeah. No, I had someone else reach out. Um, they, You know, they wanted to do a show. I'm like, I'm doing food shopping right now. Like, but my show is in an hour. I'm like, well, you just contacted me right now, though. So it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's wild. Just, 
The news comes at you twenty four seven. That's the life. That's 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 the life of of covering the the boxing world. Is never a dull moment. And uh, hopefully we get some good fights this weekend. All right, Jake. I appreciate the time. We covered a lot of ground here. Uh, how about we take one day off from breaking news and we can just, you know, collect our thoughts and then go yes. into the work week strong. Definitely. Yeah, I'm going to take it easy today, tomorrow. Then I head to Dallas. Well, Fort Worth, I should say, for a ringside for Virgil. Hopefully have some uh, good news, you know, good news to come out of there as well. So, All right, Jake. Appreciate the time. All right. Thank you, Dan. Always a pleasure.